Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, everybody. Assalamu alaikum. This is your boy Fahad from AKA The Mute Switch. All right, let's get right into it today. So, you know, I've been teaching my kids about the seerah for a few months now, and it's on and off. You know, on one week, I might teach for, you know, two days. On another week, it could be one day. And another week, it could be two days, three days. But we always try to review what we've learned, and we build slowly. I teach one small concept a day, or each time I teach them, just to keep them entertained and not to overload them as they are still 10 or less in age. Now recently, you know, and not even recently, even when I was a kid, and now I was born in the US. I was born in New York, I was born in the US, so I grew up here and I've been raised here and I know the whole, you know, living in the West culture. And of course, you know, my, my family is from Pakistan. I've been there a few times, mainly for weddings, so I kind of know the culture, obviously, of both. I know the cuisine. I know all the nuances, you know, the stereotypes, all of those things. So I kind of have a handle on that. But being born and raised in America, you know, there's a certain mentality that I have as compared to, I think, people that are born back home. Because when you're born back home and you're in Pakistan or wherever Islamic country or Muslim land you're from, you always have that thought in your mind that, you know, your children, they will learn Islam through osmosis, right? They will learn Islam through the community because they're going to a, a school, you know, the teachers were Muslim, you know, they pray, they'll hear the adhan in the city and all of those things. But now, you know, when you live in the West, that's not there. You don't learn Islam through osmosis in the West. You might learn it through osmosis when you're outside in a Muslim country, but even then, you're not really learning Islam. You're just getting some tidbits. But to properly learn Islam, you, you know, you have to have a role model. And, you know, me being the father and, you know, the head of the house, it is my job, not just as a father, but it is my Islamic duty to take care of my flock. And likewise, every family has a responsibility to take care of their flock, their children. Your children won't learn as much unless they learn it from you. Because they learn our habits. They learn all of our habits. They, they see what we do. You know, if we're on the phone all the time, then they're going to do the same thing when they're older. Or in the meantime, what they'll do is they'll draw a phone instead. You know, if they're young, they're going to draw a phone or they'll, they'll make like a, a craft out of some cardboard and stuff. And like, oh, look, dad, this is my phone. Like I'm, I'm doing it like you are. And then, and then you realize, you know what, I got I to gotta change my ways because they pick up on everything that we do. And obviously, the best way to teach them Islam is through example, right? You don't have to be a scholar or a PhD because remember the Prophet ﷺ, he told us, you know, teach one verse. Even if you know one verse, teach that one verse to the people. So the more we learn about Islam, the more we can teach our children. And even if you learn one thing, you know, you read something in the Quran, you read about one verse, you kind of digest it a little bit. You teach that one tiny verse to your kids for five minutes or 10 minutes a day, just so they get that dose of Islam every single day. You know, one of the things, one of the challenges of today is that, you know, our children, they, they tend to mimic others as well, not just your family, but if they're going to public school, they will try to imitate those in public school and they will copy celebrities that people like, you know, whether it be a singer, an actor, a, a sports player, or even fictitious characters in video games. 
whatever, you know, Batman, Superman, you know, Spider-Man, all of these, all these people, people will take them as role models. And they are, they are obviously not good role models because first of all, they're not real. Second of all, they're not following, you know, Islamic principles. And we need to teach our children and ourselves first, the true role models. As the Prophet said, he said that the best generation is my generation, meaning his generation, the people that lived with him, the Sahaba, that is the best generation of people. So when we learn about the life of the Prophet we not only learn about his life, but we also learn about the Sahaba. So we get double the benefit there. We learn about the Prophet's life, his actions, what he did, how he handled situations, but we also learn how the Sahaba handled situations, what they did as leadership role in their leadership roles, what were their specialities. Some of them were special in fighting, others were had specialities in, you know, reciting Quran, others had speciality in following the Prophet and learning his teachings and teaching them to others, like Abu Huraira. So the more we learn about the Sahaba, the more we can teach our children the true heroes that they need to look up to, that we need to look up to in order to be successful. So just a few days ago, you know, we were talking about the Sahaba and how, who the early converts were. And we talked about the Sahaba who were the first converts to Islam. And we mentioned Bilal. We talked about Bilal, radiallahu an, and we talked about how, you know, he was, he was a slave and, you know, he was of African descent. And unfortunately, back then, and even until today, you know, with racism, he was treated poorly, to say the least. You know, he was tortured immensely because of his low status. And once again, this is a pattern that's been going on forever, where the, the, the people of the higher tribes that became Muslim, like Abu Bakr, and even the Prophet himself, they, you know, they weren't tortured because they had n nobility, whereas people like Khabbab and Bilal, they didn't have nobility, they were slaves, and they were treated poorly and tortured. And Bilal, you know, being, you know, mashallah, he was extremely tough and resilient in the fact that no matter how much torture he would get, he would never give the Quraysh a word of pleasure. Meaning, in Islam, if you're being tortured to the point of death, you're allowed to say things in order to stop the torture as long as you don't mean them in your heart. You just say them verbally so the torture can stop. So people would say, you know, I worship Allah or I, I believe in Allah as a God, obviously, you know, these pagan gods, they just said it in order to stop the torture. But Bilal, you know, he would not even say that. He would continue to say, Ahadun Ahad, Ahadun Ahad, the one and only Allah. He would always, you know, be specifying the oneness of Allah. And he would never give the Quraysh or any tribe any sort of satisfaction, even though he was tortured the most amongst the Sahaba. And what we learn about Bilal is that later on, he becomes the official Mu'addin of the Prophet Wasallam, the, the official individual who would call the Adhan for every single prayer. So look at that Im immense blessing that he gets from the Prophet Wasallam. He is the official Mu'addin. And if you think about it, he spends 10 years in Medina with the Prophet, times five prayers a day, times 10 years. So he's calling the Adhan constantly and the blessings of the Adhan, one of them is that whoever hears you 
saying the Adhan, they will testify for you on the Day of Judgment. So now, Bilal is saying the Adhan five times a day in Medina, and the Prophet amongst all the Sahaba of the best of generations, all see him doing that, and they will all testify for him on the Day of Judgment. The best of generations, the best of mankind, the Prophet himself, will all testify on behalf of Bilal and in support of Bilal on the Day of Judgment. SubhanAllah. Just look at the status of Bilal where he was being crushed by a rock. He was what people would consider the lowest of the low. He was a slave and people would laugh at him and mock him as he was being dragged through the cities and then tortured with a stone on top of him and then, and then some. And now look at his, how high his rank has been as the official mu'adhin of the Prophet So see, these are the kinds of people we need to learn about for our own sake and also for our children. They need to learn who their real heroes are. And it's not, you know, like I said, some celebrity or some sports figure or some singer or some, you know, Spider-Man, some fictitious, worthless character, but real people who have real success. And the earlier we start, the better it'll be for our families. You know, if our kids are young, they are still within our grasp. You know, they still rely on us. Their independence isn't to such a high standard that they don't need you that much. So when they are in that seven, eight, nine years of age, that's when you got to start doing these things. And if they're younger than that, that's when you got to start learning so that by the time they're six, seven, eight, then you can start teaching them. Don't wait till they're 15, 16 and then try to teach them because the later you wait, the later, the less likely they will listen. Just by the nature of man, right? As you get older, you're more independent and you're more likely to be with your peers more and get advice from them, especially if you're not in the know, if you're not following what's going on in their lives. So obviously, you know, we have to be an active participant in their lives. We can't just be passive. You know, back home, as they say, right, back in Pakistan, you could have been passive in their lives because once again, they were learning Islam through osmosis. They were, they were hearing the Adhan, everyone is going for Jummah, Fridays you're off, Eid is, 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 you know, mashallah, four or five day festival. Islam is there, it's ingrained, but now it's the opposite. Now, disbelief is the norm. The disbelief in Allah is the norm. Fulfilling your desires is, is what's in and struggling and controlling oneself, which Islam teaches, is not something that's looked good at. All right, so that was my brief Islamic lesson for the day. And uh, inshallah, let's talk about something else now. So like I said, I, I told you I'm an Apple fanboy, right? So just to give you a quick analogy, actually, before we get into some Apple stuff, is that, you know, when you... For example, if somebody buys an iPhone, right, brand new iPhone, they're ecstatic. It's their first iPhone or it's a f their first new iPhone after, you know, several years. So it's, it's bigger, it's brighter, it's got a nicer camera, it's got all the bells and whistles, it's got face ID, you don't have that touch ID anymore. And, they're and then someone says, you know what, you need some accessories for your iPhone. Now that you have the iPhone, you need some accessories, so let's get some AirPods, and an Apple Watch. Now that kid is ecstatic, right? He's, he was already happy with the iPhone, but now you're like, you know what? You need some accessories with that iPhone that pair really well with it. So why don't we get you the best accessories that are the most compatible, which would be what? AirPods, Apple Watch. And now that kid's like mind blown, right? He's like, oh my God, I got all of these things. Alhamdulillah, 
That's amazing. Now you see the approach with the Sira is the same way. Now obviously I'm not comparing Audhu Billah, the, the Prophet with Apple Watch or an iPhone, but the Prophet is the best of mankind, right? The best of mankind. And if we study his life, we will study his life, obviously, but we will also learn all of the other things that are amazing. We will learn about the Quran, the context of why this verse came down and what it means. We will learn about the people who were around the Prophet and learn about the best of generations, the best accessories or companions of the Prophet similar in analogy only, obviously, not in actual similarity, but similar like the iPhone with the AirPods and the Apple Watch. That's why the Sira, I think, is so amazing because epic stories, true stories from the most epic of generations and the most epic of mankind. And you get to learn about the Quran, the most epic book of all. So all of these things are in the Sira. And that's why we should learn the Sira and we should teach our, the Sira to our children. All right, now to give you guys some background about how I became an Apple nerd, as they would say, or Apple sheep, as they would say, we got to go way back. We got to go back to when the Android universe was kind of coming up and was getting popular. So a lot of you might not know this, but there was a phone that came out called the Nexus One. It was the Nexus One, and it was a top-of-the-line Android phone that really got me intrigued. You know, before iOS and, and all of that, I was all into Nokia. You know, Nokia had the best phones by far. You know, they had the N95, they had the N82, and these phones were amazing. They had GPS, top cameras, top video quality. They had a real headphone jack, and they had, you know, a sliding controls where you can get the keyboard with the number pad and then it would slide the other way on the N95 and you would get your media controls. It was it was pretty awesome, man. I mean, and, you know, it was one of my favorite phones and the iPhone being the new phone on the block, you know, it was cool. Yeah, it had a nice screen, but it was 2G and it had a lot of things that were missing. Its camera was absolute garbage, first of all. It had a recessed headphone jack, which means it only worked with a few headphone jacks, if any. And, you know, once again, it didn't have basic features like copy and paste or GPS of, of good quality or of good speed. Now, to be fair, at least, the N95 wasn't the best as well with GPS because even in the instructions, I believe, they mentioned that you had to slide the phone open in order to get better GPS reception. So that being aside, you know, the iPhone was just too bare bones for me because I needed copy and paste and I needed, you know, video capabilities and a decent camera, obviously, because back in the day when I was in pharmacy school, I would need to take notes and sometimes I had to copy other people's notes. So what I would do was I would take a picture of their, of their notes, literally of their handwritten notes and Back then, back in 2007 or 2006, there weren't any really good cameras on phones that could take good pictures of documents. You, had, you either had to scan them, which once again, it wasn't easy to do back then unless you had your own computer. But being in college, you know, you're already broke. But what they did have was a lot of phones, they had a macro mode feature. And I had the N80, which had a 
regular camera, fixed focus camera, not even an autofocus, fixed focus, but it had a slider on the back with the little macro logo, with the little flower logo. So when I slid it to that side, now I can take pictures of my notes or other people's notes and they would be pretty crisp and clear. I can, you know, look at them on my computer and then just print them out and it was awesome. So, you know, that was another reason why the iPhone was completely out of the picture for me because I needed to have notes to study and the iPhone just wasn't going to take those photos for me. Plus, it came out at the end of pharmacy school. I graduated in 2008. iPhone came out in 2007. So it was already, you know, a lost cause at that point. But back to what I was talking about, you know, you know, I was into, into the, the Nokia system, the Symbian operating system. But then when the Nexus 1 came out, it was this Android flag, flagship phone. And I was like, let me give this phone a shot. So I bought it. And I was in love with it. I was in love with Android, you know, with, I don't even know what it was called. Was it Gingerbread, the first operating system? You know, it would get all the updates. And then I got hooked on Android. I got hooked on Android, you know, the Nexus One. And then you had the problem with, you know, being a tech nerd and a phone nerd. You, you can imagine because when Nokia was out, it was the Nokia N80, the, the E63. All right, the Nokia N95, 8 gigabyte. The Nokia N82, it's like you buy one phone after another, after another. You sell one phone, you buy another phone. You sell one phone, you buy another phone. And then Android comes out and you're like, okay, I got the Nexus phone. I got the best Android phone. I'm good for a while. I don't have to buy all these phones all the time. But then, of course, another phone comes out. You know, Samsung comes out with the phone called the... Uh, the Galaxy S2, I think, was the, was the first real Galaxy that really got people's eye. And that's when people were like, oh, man, this phone is legit, man. OLED screen, you know. The crazy thing was the Samsung Galaxy S2, you know, had four different versions when it came out for every single carrier in the United States. It looked different on every single carrier. And I had the AT&T version. And it had a very crippling side effect, which was... Its GPS was basically busted on the S2. It just wasn't usable on any version of it unless you had the international version. So that was my next Android phone. So, But the GPS wouldn't work. So then I said, all right, let me get another Android phone. Then I think I got the HTC something. I don't know. It was a smaller phone, but it had the ability to be, you know, rooted which means hacked, right? The rooted culture, I could root the phone, put my own ROM on it and make it my way, make it like a Nexus phone. And then from that point on, you know, it was just a rolling spiral of phones where every four to five months, there's another new phone out, just bigger, better, brighter. And I'd always have to be lined up to get that phone. And then I'm like, you know what? This is getting to a point. And then later on, you know, I have kids. Now I have one kid and I'm still in this Android cycle of getting a new phone every couple of months to the point where the AT&T store knew me by name, which is kind of sad. You know, the AT&T guys knew me by first name, which is pretty sad because you don't go to AT&T that often, you know? I mean, how often do you got to go to AT&T to get any sort of cell phone service or help? Maybe once a year or every six months, or every two or three years if you're going to just upgrade every that often, but they knew me by first name. So I was all over the Android, you know, getting new Android phones every few months. And then I was hacking them and rooting them and trying to add new ROMs to give me all the little 
features and you know oh you, you can customize your your lock screen you can customize your notification bar to any color you can customize the battery logo with colors or shapes you can customize every possible thing the font of the phone there was every single icon could be customized with font it was just so much customization that i was spending more time customizing my phone than actually using my phone for for things and and, and i got sucked into that whole culture and i'm like man this is getting you know and it didn't it didn't matter to me a whole lot but then once i had kids and then i'm like you know what i have i probably got to stop this because you know i'm going to have to be a dad. I'm going to have to teach them. I'm going to have to play with them. And I did do that. But then I realized it was taking me away from my hobby of, of hacking and this and that. And then I'm like, you know what? I got to I gotta change my ways a little bit. Now, throughout this time where I had Android phones, I did, I did delve into the iPhone a little bit. I started on iPhone with the iPhone 4 because retina screen first retina screened iPhone because the Nexus one had a equivalent type of retina screen whereas iPhone 3GS was pretty pretty bland and pixelated so the iPhone 4 was the first phone that I actually enjoyed and I had for a little bit because you know it was all metal and glass it, and then the screen was so crisp that when I actually got the phone for the first time in Best Buy and I walked out the store and, you know, I don't ever put a case on my phone because I just think that detracts from the, the feel and the look and the way it, it's supposed to be in your hand. It's like, subhanAllah, you know, it's supposed to, it feels amazing. But then when you put a, a case on it, it's like, come on, what is that? So I had the iPhone 4, I left the store and I was like, man, this phone is, is, is crazy. It, it just feels so good. It looks so crisp. The, the animations were smoother than on Android and the fluidity was something that Apple, you know, took very much as a priority over Android. Android was all about functionality at that time and less about fluidity. But in today's day and age, they're both basically the same in terms of performance and fluidity. They're both ultra smooth and the performance is ultra fast either way. But back then, you could tell that the iPhone was all about fluidity and it was pretty, pretty you know, powerful as well. But it also seemed powerful because of it, the fluidity of it. Because sometimes you would scroll on a website and you would get grids as you scrolled, meaning there was nothing loaded yet because you were scrolling. And as you scrolled, the priorities of the phone are to keep the scrolling smooth. But the minute you let your finger off the phone, then it would load the rest of the website. Whereas on Android, you could scroll and everything would be loaded, but it would jitter and stutter as you went because it was loading while you were scrolling so once again so, all right so anyway iphone 4 i was really into it but it still had limitations you know no proper file system or sharing system you know i couldn't really do pdfs that easily without buying a bunch of apps that weren't that great and other little things that i was just so used to on android it didn't have google maps the way i wanted it it had the apple version of google maps which, which was not that good at the time so then i sold my iphone 4. I got rid of it, went back to Android. Then I got the 4S, or I wanted to get the 4S because it was just something about those iPhones that would come out and I would want to get it. So iPhone 4S, you know, I wanted to get it, but I couldn't. So then I was like, let me just get the 4 again because, you know, each time Apple updated their iOS system, they would add a new feature 
that I would like. They added a new feature that was just like, oh man, they finally added this copy and pasting. Oh, oh, they finally added, you know, disability or video or whatever it may be. So then I decided to go back to the iPhone 4 again, even though I wanted the 4S. The 4S was hard to get, you know, this and that. So I was like, you know what, let me just get the iPhone 4. I really want an iPhone again. And I really want to hold that, that brick, that quality in my hand because once you play around with Android too long and you tinker with it, you know, things break here and there and you just want something reliable. Now that I have a kid and, you know, I have a new job as a nuclear pharmacist, I got a train, I can't have like some, some phone that's going to keep goofing off with me. I need something that's going to work all the time. And then I got the iPhone 4 again. And once that happened, I think that's when I pretty much was weaning off of Android now and I was going towards Apple because... Their, their features were getting to a point now where I can handle it. You know, they, were, they had some GPS apps that were good enough for me. And once Apple, or sorry, once Google came out with Google Maps on the iPhone, I was basically, that was one of the, the daggers in the heart of Android for me. When they finally added Google Maps as a third-party app, not a built-in app. So once iOS, once Apple failed with their initial Maps launch, which was completely garbage, then Google Maps eventually came out with their own app and people just downloaded that thing like there was no tomorrow. They downloaded that thing like it was life or death. And with Google Maps, now I, was, I had a solid map app on my phone, which was, which, which was key because I was you know, traveling a lot for work, whether it was you know, in the Midwest or whatever it may be, I was traveling a lot for work. And at that time, it was the iPhone 5 now that is out. So the iPhone 5, and from that point onward, there was no going back. I had a reliable phone with a good GPS in it. And yes, I could jailbreak it. Yes, I could jailbreak it and add more features. But it was a lot harder, relatively speaking, to jailbreak an iPhone as it was to root an Android phone. And I didn't want to get go down that path again anyway, because this iPhone it was basically good enough for me because sometimes I'd jailbreak an Android phone and the audio app wouldn't work. The music app wouldn't work. I couldn't listen to my Quran. It, wouldn't, it would end the surah in, in, in the app, but there would be like another five seconds left of the surah and you couldn't hear it. It would just skip to the next track. It was just weird glitches like that or my GPS not working right or whatever the case might, may be. And, you know, there was always ways to fix it with new updates. But I was like, I'm not going to go down that path. Let me get an iPhone, keep it stock, not jailbreak it, and just just use it. And ever since then, I've been on Apple because there was just something about the software of Apple and their hardware. The way their, that iPhone 5 felt in my hand without a case, it was just it just felt really good all the time. You know, super smooth butter. Now the screen was laminated to display, so it was crisper and brighter and lighter. And yeah, the screen size was smaller, but that's fine, you know? It's not that big a deal. Especially back in 2012, it didn't matter a ton that your screen was only four inches. And then when the 5S came out, that was also exciting. Now you got a fingerprint. Once again, I went to the AT&T store and I was in line, you know, on day one, of course, right? Day one, AT&T store, first in line. And, you know, 
or not first in line, but one of the first five or six people in line. And then the guy comes out, I was like, oh, we, only, we don't have any of the gold iPhones, so, you know, sorry. I was like, sweet, they only have black, which is what I wanted, because I had a silver iPhone 5, and I wanted to get a black iPhone 5S. I wanted to go all black, especially since they made the black phone more of a space gray this year, because the iPhone 5 in black would, would chip very easily, and the paint would come off. But the iPhone 5S had more of a space gray or a grayish tint, so if you did ding the phone, you wouldn't notice, you know, that gash as much because now the color is slightly darker than aluminum versus a thin, tiny coat of dark blue almost on the iPhone 5 that if it got scuffed once, you would see that bright white aluminum through it and you would know that your phone has a scar on it. So iPhone 5S in black, from that point on, it was basically iPhone. I, I pretty much never bought an android phone after that except for one time maybe just to, just to try it out but i returned it within a few days because i'm like no way man i gotta stick with ios ios is the way to go so yeah the 5s onwards i've been on iphone for since that whole time that whole time period and i have plenty more to talk about when it comes to apple so stay tuned inshallah for the next episode this is my first episode of the mute switch, which obviously refers to the iPhone's mute switch because no other phone has one unless you're a OnePlus guy. But whatever, let's not talk about OnePlus. Uh, so inshallah, we'll catch you in the next one. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.